continue this morning, Lord. I just thank you for, for Greg for coming to preach this morning, Lord, and giving Pastor Cal a break this morning. Lord, I just pray that your presence, your spirit just rests upon Greg as he brings forth the word that you have placed on his heart, Lord. Lord, I just thank you for his willingness to come in this morning and and speak your, your gospel this morning, Lord. And we just thank you for all things, Lord. And we, we love you. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, you all can be seated. So um, I just wanted to give a brief word of introduction to Greg. Before I do that, any children who would like to go to our children's worship time can be dismissed right out the back. We've got people who will take them to our kids' ministry room just right out the back here and so anyway uh just wanted to give a brief word of uh introduction to greg so uh, in 1996 i was a freshman at hannibal lagrange university where you guys know javen attends back then it wasn't a university it was only a college it was still four years but anyway they they didn't have a master's program at that time and so i had not great experiences with my freshman year roommate. So I had a roommate and he only made it a few weeks into the semester and then he went home. Uh, It's a weird story of me waking up one morning and he was leaning over from the top bunk, like just staring at me when I woke up and he looked a little bit like Eddie Munster. uh, And it was a little awkward. Yeah, it was a little awkward. And so anyway, so he left after a few weeks, then I roomed by myself. Then this guy, Sam moved in with me for uh, the next semester. And then he went off and got married. And so my sophomore and junior year, or my super sophomore year, and <laughs> anyway, um, I moved in with a guy named Greg McGee, and uh, who had actually kind of a lot of hair. Uh, this is a picture of Greg uh, from about that time uh, that my friend, my friend Matt, helped me get. Uh, <laughs> Because I, because I, I had trouble find, I had trouble finding old pictures. Because I don't know if you know it, but there was a time before digital cameras and cell phones where we carried cameras in our pockets, and so I had to go to find this. But so we moved in together, and we lived together for two years, and um, we went through a lot of those things when you're tw- 19 and 20 and 21, like all those things that you kind of go through, uh, heartbreak and, you know, cars being repossessed and like things like that. Uh, those kind of things, uh, that you go through, <laughs> hopefully you didn't go through, uh, but we walked through a lot of that. My grandmother died when we were roommates. I just remembered that. And like, uh, hanging out with Greg now, it's like, my memories are like a Rolodex. Okay. That's aging me. Um, uh, my meat computer is pulling up old files. There we go. Anyway, um, but I didn't want to just have this picture of Greg, so go ahead and put that other picture up there. There you go. That's us. Uh, about the time we lived together. This is, this is probably freshman year. This is before we actually moved in together, but I don't know if you've ever seen two people that more look like they're someday going to be in jail but, uh, than those two guys. But anyway, I didn't want you to be the only, I didn't want you to be the only, anyway, uh, Greg is, uh, and you can go to the, the, the title slide so that, yeah, we get that picture off there. Um, so Greg is the lead pastor at North Road Harvester in St. Charles, Missouri, this is north of St. Louis in St. Charles County, and uh, he's been married to Roxanne for 22 years, and I wish she was here because she's like, as great as Greg is, Roxanne's better. Uh, she's, she's great. She's great. And she's redheaded. You know, we're partial to redheads in my family. So, 
Uh, anyway, um, and she's at home with their, their kids, and so we're thankful to her and the kids for loaning Greg to us uh, this morning. Uh, Greg spent uh, a lot of time in youth ministry, just like I did, on his way to being a lead pastor. Uh, he was also a worship leader, his beautiful uh, singing voice and guitar playing skills. I remember he used to play guitar at night, and I would inadvertently fall asleep while he was singing some kind of Kenny Loggins song or something. And uh, anyway... Uh, Greg has been a really good friend to me. We've reconnected over the last couple of years. He's been a real encouragement to me in ministry through the story of North Road, but also just there's stuff pastoring that, that you go through that people who don't pastor, they just don't, they just don't get it. Just like there's stuff when you're a teacher that you go through or a nurse or whatever you do that people who aren't in that don't understand. And then you add the spiritual level to it with pastoring. And so Greg's been a really good friend to me over the last couple of years. So I want to introduce my friend, Greg McGee. Thanks for those, uh, those pictures. That wasn't bad. That wasn't bad. Well, good morning. It's so great to be here. It's just phenomenal to be here. We've been talking about this for a while. And it, it kind of got born out of... Uh, Kyle just kind of sharing with me about the story of this church and what was going on here. And, um, and, and I just started, as he started sharing some of the stories with me, I thought, man, there's a lot of similarities between um, where you guys are, guys are right now and where, sorry, I'm going to take these keys off, and where, where North Road was uh, just a few short years ago. And so I'm going to get into that in a little bit, but before we do that, I want to uh, jump into this uh, a little bit. Um, this, is, this comes out of a series we did uh, several months ago, maybe a year ago, called Devoted. And it comes out of Acts chapter 2, verse 42, where it says, And they, meaning the early church, right? Peter preaches this incredible sermon. 3,000 people get saved. And at the end of chapter 2, it says, And they, the church, and the added believers, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and the fellowship, and the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And so we just walked through that as a church, right? Those four things that we as a church, uh, it'd be cool if we were about the things that the early church was about, right? And as I was reading this, I, I don't know about y'all, but, you know, he just mentioned, you know, this was way, way, way before the year of everything in your life being documented, right? So we, we have parented through this transition from analog to digital, right? We, when we first got married, we just had regular 35 millimeter cameras. And I remember when we first got our first digital camera and so and but that wasn't until my son was born in 2000 my first son was born in 2003 and so we have some digital photos of him but they're not very good they're really grainy they look terrible and then we have twin seven-year-olds that we adopted out of foster care and so their life is incredibly documented like we know everything every cute thing they've ever done you know if they do something cute we're like quick do that again and we get our phone out right and we record it and and i wonder what it would be like if we had some of that of the early church Right? And as I read this passage, the thing that kind of comes to my mind is that it, it feels like um, peering into the window of the early church. Like if this early church was like a little Baptist church on the hillside, right? A little white church upset on a hill and they've got some windows. And you could just walk up to the windows and look in and see what was going on. And this little passage, it just talks about these things that they're doing together. They're, they're, they're devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and, and the word. And they're fellowshipping together. They're breaking bread together. It says that they would buy and sell their stuff as each other had need. They were ministering to each other. And specifically, as we look this morning, it says that they devoted themselves to the prayers, to just seeking God. And I really appreciate Kyle and his leadership in that as he um, leads you all in that pastoral prayer. Don't ever let go of that. 
So um, we're going to kind of give some, uh, fill some ground here, right? So that's in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And we're going to fill the ground between, between that and Acts chapter 12, because that's where we're going, that's where we're going to land today. So in chapters 3 and 4, uh, you, you see the name in Jesus' name seven times. So if you go through those two chapters, you'll see seven times where Peter and James and John and others, as they walk through and they start doing the ministry of Christ in the early church, you will see the phrase, in Jesus' name, seven times, recognizing, and this is them recognizing where the power comes from, right? They're like, we're not doing this on our own. This is not our church. This is not our ministry. This is not us healing. This is, this is in Jesus' name, right? Peter and John heal a lame beggar. People surrounded Peter and John as they, uh, as they did with Jesus. Um, Peter and John are arrested, and they're told to stop and then released. And, and in this time, about this time, the church had grown to about five to 8,000 men, not including women and children. So the church had just exploded this explosive growth in the early church. And when Peter and John were arrested, uh, the church gathers together to pray, right? And they pray this prayer for Peter and John. It says, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted up their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, after they'd been let go, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them? Who, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage, why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and his anointed. For truly, I didn't tell you where we're at, did I? We're in Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 23. I think it's up here. If you're in your Bibles, I'm at verse 27. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. There it is, in Jesus' name. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So, you have this early church, these new believers, the church is exploding, Peter and John are arrested, they're put in jail, they get out, they come back and gather with the church and they begin to pray. And their prayer was not, God, protect us from that happening again. We don't want that to happen again. God, how can we preach your word without getting ourselves into trouble, right? How can we, how can we be a little bit more um, friendly, culturally friendly? How can we communicate things in a way that's less offensive? No, no, no. What they prayed was, God, would you, would you give us the ability to continue to preach your word with boldness, with no shame? And so they did, and they kept going. So the apostles were arrested again in Acts chapter 5. And an angel frees them and then tells them to keep after it. Just keep going. Keep, just keep doing what you're doing. And at daybreak, they went back to the temple to preach after they'd been arrested. So they arrested again. And they said, we told you to stop. And this is where they say, listen, whether we obey you or God, um, you just, whether, it's, we, whether we should obey you or God, you, you guys kind of have to decide for yourself. But we can't stop speaking about what we've seen and heard. Like, we, we walked with this guy. We, we were around this guy. We, we saw everything that happened. And we can't, like, turn off the memories, right? Jesus really was who he said he was, and he really did all the things that we're saying. And we're just telling stories about what happened. So we're going to keep doing it. So they wanted to kill them, but instead they beat them and released them and told them to stop teaching in Jesus' name. 
In Acts chapter 5, verse 41 and 42, it says, And they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day and every day in the temple, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. And the church again just continues to explode. In Acts chapter 6, you have the first deacons because the, the, the apostles were overwhelmed with the ministry to the widows, and so they appoint the first deacons. In Acts chapter 7, Stephen is stoned with Saul's, Saul's approval. In Acts chapter 8, Saul prosecutes the church. In Acts chapter 9, Saul becomes Paul and begins his ministry. In Acts chapters 10 and 11, 11 ministry of the church expands to Gentiles, and Peter is told to go minister to Cornelius, a Gentile. And so famine hits, Right? And Jerusalem sends relief to Antioch. In Acts chapter 12, verse 1 and through 3, it says, About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed uh, James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. So here we are. We get all the way to chapter 12. This is the story of the church up to this point. They've not been through a little bit. They've been through quite a bit, haven't they? There's constant persecution, constant threats from the religious leaders and others, constantly people looking at them and saying, you all got to stop this. You got to stop talking about this person, Jesus. And they basically just say, you know what? Do what you're going to do. We're not stopping. So here we are in the passage. We're going to read again those first few verses in Acts chapter 12. We're going to read verses 1 through 6. And then we're going to kind of break some things down as we look at this early church and their devotion specifically to prayer. Acts chapter 12, verses 1 through 6. And again, about that time, the king laid violent hands on some who who belonged to the church, and he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also, Uh, This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when they had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to the four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest, listen, earnest prayer for him was made to uh, to God by the church. Now when Herod was about to bring him out on the very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains and sentries before the door We're guarding the prison. So here we go. First thing that I think that we can see in the church whenever God's people come together and pray is this, is that praying brings peace in prison. I want you to see something. It's just kind of, kind of just snuck in there a little bit, right? What was Peter doing? He was sleeping. It just kind of snuck in there. And when I read this, I thought, oh my goodness. It says, earnest prayer was being, uh, offered for him by the church and now when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night Peter was sleeping between two soldiers how would you have been reacting at this point how would I have been reacting at this point right you've been arrested over and over and over again this is not something new it's constant non-stop people hunting you down and they've thrown you in prison and now this all looks incredibly familiar doesn't it because now they're going to take that the, the, it says here that they were intending after Passover to bring him out in front of the people. Well, what happened last time that happened? When Jesus was brought before the people, what did they do? Do you want, you want this Jesus or do you want Barabbas? And what did they say? Give us Barabbas. I mean, this, this murderous crowd. 
and hated Jesus and wanted him gone so much they would rather that a murderer be released to them. And here's Peter sitting in prison, and he knows that the next day, right around Passover, is going to be brought before the people. And he's sleeping between two guards. It blows me away. I have to be honest with you. There's been a lot going on in my life lately, just a lot of things. And I'm not going to get into all that, but there's just been a lot of things going on in my life. And I find myself often waking up at 3 o'clock in the morning. Anybody else have that happen to you? I didn't know I was that old yet, right? I am wake up in the middle of the night and can't go back to sleep old, right? That's how old I am now. And I'll wake up at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning and I'm worried about my daughter and what's going to happen. She's been going through some different things. I've got another daughter who's got some digestive issues and I've got a son who has some learning disabilities. And I've got all these things going on in the church and all. And I wake up in the middle of the night and I can't sleep. But here sits Peter. The night before, they're going to take him out from the Passover. A little bit of PTSD maybe in his mind of what happened to a savior, about what happened to one of his best friends, and he's about to be put before the people, and he's sleeping in between two guards. You know, Peter's just following the example of Jesus. Do you remember the story? Listen to this, Matthew chapter 8, verses 23 through 26. It says, And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him, and behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, save us, Lord. I can just imagine that, like, sometimes I, I, I assume that, you know, um, Matthew is doing his best job to recount how this all went down. But I assume that there were more words than just, save us, Lord, we are perishing. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's probably a lot of commotion, a lot of worry, a lot of angst, a lot of words that have something to do with, we're all going to die. And you're sleeping. And he said to them, why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose, and he rebuked the, rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. Man, when you, when you know, when you know, I mean, and Jesus, of course, when you know that you are walking with the Father, and you know that the Father uh, has complete control over the storm, it's not hard to sleep. And Peter, the one that probably most often jumped out ahead of things and had the lack of faith and didn't understand when Jesus was trying to explain something and, you know, put his foot in his mouth all the time. Here he sits, taking the example of Christ, and because the people of God are lifting him up in prayer, because there are people doing the work of the Christian faith, there he sleeps between two soldiers. I've heard somebody say one time that prayer is not preparation for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. It's the greater work. It is the work of the ministry. Peter learned a great lesson that day with Jesus. We don't, we, don't, we don't worry. We sleep. We rest. We know that we can be calm, that Jesus calms the storms, not just the physical representation of precipitation and thunder and lightning, but he calms the storms in our life. The storms don't always go away, but he can bring us peace in prison. Or peace in the storm. We don't sleep often. We worry. And our worries are our confession that we don't trust God. Our prayers are our confession that God is God and we are not. Honestly, when we pray, when we go to God with our worries and our struggles, essentially what we're telling him is, God, you're God. (laughs) 
which seems like a super simple thing to say, right? Like, that's about as simple as you can possibly get. But how many of you, am I the only one? Sometimes I live my life as though I am. And what I mean by that is that I walk through life like, oh my goodness, if I don't do this, and I don't do this, and I don't do this, everything's going to fall apart, as if anything in this world depended on me. And I walk through life, and I'm like, God, I'm God. I've got to take care of this. I've got to figure this out. And God's like, no, 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 you've got things wrong. Let me remind you of the most simple truth in all of Scripture. I'm God. You're not. You're not God. But I don't know what to pray. Prayer is just talking and taking your worries to God. Look at Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. Don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and you'll sleep in prison. It's <laughs> not what it says. But it's, it says, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. But what he's saying is, you'll sleep in prison. You'll be on a boat, and the waves are going to be crashing over it, and everybody else is going to be freaking out, but you're going to be asleep when they're freaking out. Do you have peace in prison. I don't think that this was just the fact that the church was praying for Peter. I think Peter was prayed up too. I think Peter had made up his mind. I think Peter had decided, because it said earlier, that they walked away from them, counting it a joy, a privilege to have suffered alongside of Christ. He'd made up his mind. If this ends in death, it ends in death. I'm not worried about it. God's in control. So when you find yourself in prison, you can't go out and buy a faith-grown and a 20-year walk with God. It sounds crazy, but often we'd rather be kept up than prayed up. We'd rather be kept up than prayed up. We'd, we'd rather spend time worrying than just to take that to God. So the first thing we see is that uh, prayer brings peace in prison. Number two, prayer brings participation in God's power. Look at uh, verses 7 through 11 in chapter 12. It says, and behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up, saying, ladies, you ever done that to your husband? Wake up, right? Struck him in the side, woke him, saying, get up quickly. And the chains fell off of his hands, and the angel said to him, uh, dress yourself and put on your sandals, and he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being uh, done by the angel was real. I kind of thought he was in a dream. And maybe you guys have woke up like that too. You've got to get up in the middle of the night and um, don't know what's going on. This is, he's just kind of in this stupor, this, this sleepy stupor. He's so peaceful and so passed out that he doesn't even know what's going on. And he thinks he's just dreaming, but thought it was a, he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. And when Peter came to himself, when he came to his senses, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. There's a lot of things that I think will surprise us when we get to heaven. One is this, and it shouldn't. Prayer works. I think that some of us are going to get to heaven and, and not realize exactly what goes on in heaven when the people of God gather and get on their knees and seek God. 
Prayer is our offensive weapon. If you look at Ephesians chapter 6, it walks through all of the, the armor of God, right? You have the helmet of salvation and the breastplate of righteousness and the shield of faith and the shoes fitted for the gospel of peace, right? And the belt of truth buckled around you. We have all these things. And then it says, then take up the sword of the spirit and pray. Take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray. I don't think that Paul, whenever he was writing that, intended that to be like some separate thing. Like it's not a part of this picture that what he's talking about. He's painted this incredible picture of a Roman uh, soldier getting ready for battle. And that we as believers, that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and darkness and, and spiritual forces of darkness in heavenly places, right? And we're supposed to put on all of these things. And I think that at the very end, he says, pick up the sword of the spirit, know the word of God and pray. And I also don't think that it's a coincidence that those two things are together. That whenever we pray the word of God, whenever we read the word of God and we pray it and we recognize God, hey, I remember that time whenever Peter was in prison and, and everybody thought it was, it was over and he's sleeping between, between two guards and your angel came in and did all these crazy things that are not possible. God, I need you to be that God today. Can you be that God in my life today? Can you step into my life in the middle of my prison, in the middle of my storm, and can you open up the iron gate of its own accord can you do that? Can you, can you shake the earth just a little bit and break up the ground around me so that, that some of this stuff can be broken loose in my life because I feel so trapped? It says in verse 5, it says, Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Earnest prayer, nonstop. I can imagine that this was ongoing on a daily basis. This was not some light prayer this was people crying out to the father father be with peter father deliver peter father would you free peter father bring peter back to us would you protect him would you bring glory to your name through peter in this circumstance when herod attacks with the sword the church counters with prayer and when god heard those prayers you think he's stressed out about this i can i can imagine like Okay, so Peter's in prison, and there's two guards there, and there's a guard at the gate, and there's all of these rock walls and bars and all this stuff, and, and, the, and the church starts crying out to God, and, and there's like this Trinity holy huddle, right? And they gather up like, gosh, they want us to get Peter loose. And, man, there's guards, and there's walls, and there's gates. How are we going to do this? Do you think that they worried about it? Do you think, the, you think that the, the, the Trinity kind of got together and were like, I don't know how we're going to pull this off, but somehow we got to make this happen. No, 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 no. It, it wasn't a thing, right? It, it, God, whenever he heard the prayers of his people and, and, and it lined up with the will of God, it wasn't even hard. This is the same God that with the word spoke everything into existence. With the word spoke, I mean, we, I'm just wonder at the new uh, space telescope pictures and the beauty of God's creation and all of the things that he's created and how creative he is. And just with a word, he spoke those things into existence. There is no gate and there is no prison that is big enough or strong enough that God is concerned. It's as if God in his sovereignty is stacking the cards against himself and just showing off. If praying is participating in God's power, why don't we do it more? One of my favorite quotes on prayer, and it's a little bit condescending, but it is what it is. John Piper says, one of the great uses of Twitter and Facebook and Snapchat and Instagram, he didn't add these, 
Twitter, Facebook, and all the social media platforms will be to prove at the last day that prayerlessness was not from lack of time. Prayerlessness was not from lack of time. We have time to pray. For some reason, we kind of like to wallow in our terrible prison storm situations. And we don't go to the God of creation who does incredible things when his people pray. Last, we see that prayer makes the impossible possible. And this is one of my favorite little stories in scripture. I love this. In verse 12, it says, when he realizes this, we kind of read this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. So here's the church. A lot of them are together. They're praying for Peter. And then Peter shows up, right? Peter's in prison, sleeping between two guards, and they're praying. And then Peter knocks on the door, right? I love this. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl uh, named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice, in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. I just love this. Peter's like, hey, uh, Rhoda, it's me, Peter. Peter! Turns around, runs back in and says, guys, Peter's here, right? They said to her, you're out of your mind. Okay, again, I don't think these are the only words that were said, right? I feel like there had to have been this exchange between Rhoda and the rest of the people who were gathered there. She's like, Peter's out there. Like, no, he's not. He's in prison. No, no, no. He knocked on the door. It was Peter's voice. He's out there. No, no, no. Rhoda, have you not heard? Listen, Peter's in prison, right? But no, I just heard him. He's out there. No, he's in prison. And here are these people praying for Peter to be freed from prison. And he shows up at the door and they don't believe it. They don't believe that it happened. So she ran in uh, and they said to her, you're out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. And they came and they kept saying, it is his angel. (laughs) Not only do they believe has he not been freed from prison, he must be dead, right? But Peter continued knocking, and, they, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison, and he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. I just love the humor in this. And I, It's easy for me to kind of laugh at them. But how often am I the same way? That whenever I pray, I don't actually expect what I'm praying for to happen. And I'll tell you a little story about why this was a a struggle for me specifically. When I was young, Cal, I I think I was married at this point. I think this was after college days. We had a family reunion. And um, every year, family reunion. And everybody in my family... Uh, on, in that side of the family, it's my mom's mom's family, the Ballard family reunion. And all of them are either incredibly conservative Southern Baptist pastors or name it and claim it, you know, like, like completely separate. And they would take turns in the service. In this particular year, my aunt Verda had been diagnosed with lung cancer. And it was Uncle Ray, the name it and claim it guy's turn to lead the Sunday morning service. And so we brought Aunt Verda up and my, my great-uncle Ray and my Uncle Jim and a couple others stood up there and began to pray over Aunt Verda. 
and asking God, we, like, God, we believe, we claim, we proclaim, you know, that she is healed. There is no cancer and she will be well and everything's going to be fine. And as a 20, early 20 something year old, um, youth pastor, I watched this and I watched this prayer take place in this confident prayer over my great aunt, Verda. She didn't make it to the next Ballard reunion. And after that, I began to think, gosh, I can't pray prayers like that. Because if I pray prayers like that, and people see me pray prayers like that, and then those prayers aren't effective, then people aren't going to believe. And I became fearful of praying big prayers. But then I served under this pastor. who, And I, I just shared that with him. And I said, man, I just really struggle with this. And he says, Greg... Why, why would we not ask? The Bible says that we can approach the throne of grace with confidence. Now, it is not always God's plan for everybody to be healed. And, and the passage I always go back to is Jesus praying in the garden, right? And Jesus prays in the garden, God, if it be your will, would you let this cup pass from me? Then what does he say? Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done, right? So what, it, what is the goal? of our prayers what is the purpose it's not to spare us grief it's not even to spare us pain the the goal of our when the goal of our prayers is god may your name be made great i have to believe that when the church gathered together and began to pray for peter their prayer was like god would you would you spare him suffering would you spare him pain i think the prayer was god would your name be made great And if that means that Peter needs to be crucified or killed or something tomorrow, we want your name to be made great. But if that means that Peter is freed and he continues to do the work of the gospel, may your name be made great. Because not everybody in the Bible got freed from prison. But God always got the glory. When, we're pray, when we pray, we're praying to the God of the universe. Are you ready for him to answer? Are you ready for him to step into the prison where you're at and into the storm where you're at and answer your prayer? I want to share one personal story, and I'm going to show you a video. The personal story is this. My, my wife, Roxanne, she is incredible. She, as a youth pastor, she is she is an exception to the rule. Generally, whenever a person grows up in the type of family that Roxanne grew up in, they don't end up the way that Roxanne is. So Roxanne's uh, mom and dad were not believers. Um, Roxanne's uh, dad was her mom's second marriage. She had had two children with a previous marriage, and that husband had cheated on her mom, and so they got divorced. And then she remarried uh, Roxanne's dad. Roxanne's dad was an alcoholic. He was abusive. Uh, and he cheated on Roxanne's mom as well. So when Roxanne was two years old, they got a divorce. And in fact, Roxanne's brother, a uh, big offensive lineman football player, um, Bill, Roxanne's dad, was uh, not, not small, but he wasn't Rob either. And so um, there came a point when Rob just looked at him and said, you need to get out. And so he left. And so Roxanne grew up from two years old on with a single mom who wasn't a believer until she was until Roxanne was nine years old, right? And um, 
her dad lived in the same town as her, but as an alcoholic, maybe saw her once or twice a year. And the, and the times whenever he did see her, she wished he wasn't there because there was like one time whenever he showed up, Roxanne was a phenomenal softball player, and the, one of the one times that he showed up to one of her games, he was drunk and screamed so much at the refs, at uh, the umps, that they kicked him out of the game, and she was just embarrassed. But at seven years old, she went to a church, and she heard the gospel, and she gave her life to Christ. And she immediately started praying for her mom. And one year later, her mom gave her life to Christ. And she immediately began praying for her dad. And 27 years later, her dad, one month before he died from throat cancer, gave his life to Christ. So he, she prayed for both of them the same way. She prayed for her mom, and one year later, she came to Christ. She prayed for her dad. 27 years later, he came to Christ. She's still praying for her brother, and he's never come to Christ. But what does, that, what does that mean for us, right? Does that mean that we don't pray? Absolutely not. Our, our goal in our prayer time is to align our hearts with God. God, we want you to gain the most glory. So Cal took me through the town last night. We just kind of got to drive around. I saw the Dixon Arch, and I saw all the riverside houses, and he showed me all of these different places in Dixon. And whenever I go to a town like this, I mean, just the way I think, when I'm in a, on a mission trip, or I'm, I'm visiting another town, and I'm driving around like that, and I didn't tell him this, but the thing that I'm thinking is, I'm just, I'm just seeing ministry, right? I know this is the way Cal thinks too. I'm just seeing there's so many people here. He says there's 15,000 people in Dixon, about 33,000 people within 15 miles of here. How many of those are walking with Jesus? How many of those have heard that the gospel saves, that they don't have to try and do all of this on their own, that they can trust in this Savior, Jesus Christ, who loves him and cares for him? How many of those people know and have what we have, right? And then the question is, how... How does, when, when you hear that, what does that stir inside of you? And, and does your prayer life match that stirring in your spirit? So, here's a story about my church. My church was Jung Station Baptist Church. And in 2018, um, they had gone through all kinds of different things. I think they had a worship pastor that had an affair and left the church. And they had this horrible situation come up. At one point, the church was running five or six hundred. And uh, after that, it just started to dwindle. We have a, a 38,000-square-foot building, right? And um, they uh, had grown to this church. They did all these big pageants. They did some incredible ministry. In fact, they, um, they did a ministry. Uh, 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 it still exists today, uh, a ministry to deaf children in, playing baseball, right? And back in the day, like Bob Gibson and Stan the Man and Lou Brock and Ozzie Smith and Willie McGee all came to the church where I pastor now to be part of this deaf baseball camp. It's incredible. They did incredible ministry. And then the sin of one pastor just derailed it. And they, and they began to descend. And they shrank and they shrank and they shrank and they shrank until in 2018, February 2018, they were running about 30 or 40 people in a building that can seat 700. And every month, they were looking at the, at the bills, at the heating bills and the repair bills and all the things that they've got. They're looking at that and they're thinking, I don't, I don't know if we can make it one more month. And they're getting desperate. And then along comes um, this pastor, Bob Feeler, a friend of mine from a long time ago. He begins to pastor the church. And in 2015, he, he leads them to begin praying consistently over and over again for what they call BHAGs. I'm just going to share that in a minute. Big, hairy, audacious goals. 
Okay? So watch this video, and I'm going to close this out.
And then in order to have 50 kids here, we had to have somebody that was going to work with them. So um, uh, we turned turn around, and, and next thing you know, we had a Chantel on staff, and um, she was just taking the ball and running with it. Um, the kids are happy. Um, you know, we, we hear, you know, the kids laughing, and the parents are excited because they feel like they're comfortable with having their kids there. And, um, it's just, it was just something that we never ever thought we'd see again. Um, every time we came to a ministry meeting, um, we thought we were going to shut the doors. You know, God just had his plan, and we just kind of had to um, wait for him. And uh, it, it was hard. It was hard. We've been here a long time with um, 50, 40 people in worship, and, and it, it was hard. It was hard to think that um, we may not be here next Sunday. So to have these goals met is just way beyond what we ever thought would happen. Through the years, as things began to dwindle down and the group began to get smaller, uh, there was only about three youth left, and two of them were our children. In the midst of all that, I was going to prayer meeting on Wednesday nights with my husband, and one thing that Brenda McClain would always pray for was that someone would come and pay off the building and put the carpet downstairs. And I always thought in my mind, who in the world is going to come and pay off this building? So um, when all this came about with North Road, um, those prayers were answered. And it really showed me that even the impossible things you think are crazy can really happen. And along with North Road, of course, came our youth group and our youth pastor, Micah, and just the many activities that my girls have been involved with, and we were just so thankful that we did stay, we did wait, and um, that we were blessed for waiting, and our kids were blessed for waiting. One of those uh, big prayer requests was uh, a lot of the modernization of the building and the upkeep of the building, and uh, one of the things that we faithfully prayed for was uh, the siding, the siding in, on the church was falling apart, uh, was looking pretty bad, and uh, really a bad face front. And uh, through prayer, through some contribution, and through insurance, we were able to side three out of the four sides of the building. And uh, we also had prayed for the bathrooms to be remodeled, and overall the modernization of the church and uh, to see where we've come uh, has been a huge testament to God's hand working in this church and how the faithfulness of the believers in the church have uh, been able to see that come to fruition and see God's hand move. And I'm so thankful to be a part of it. Our church was getting a little uh, older. We uh, had a lot of issues in this large building to uh, take care of it with an older congregation and a, uh, large expenses to do major projects. Uh, we began to pray earnestly about uh, God moving his hand and, and making a difference here. We uh, we had a parking lot that needed to be resurfaced a roof that uh, needed work. 
teachers that were uh, remarkable. And uh, we didn't want to continue that way. We wanted to grow and find a way to still make a difference in the community and reach people for Christ and have a place where they can feel comfortable of coming to the church and to hear the gospel. For whatever reason, um, I was unable to attend the meeting that they uh, made this prayer list. Um, but I would really just like to tell you about the awesomeness and faithfulness of our God. Um, I've been at this church from its very beginning. Started out as Good Rivers through the name change to John Station. God allowed us to do some very amazing and awesome things during those times. Um, and then things happened in the church, and they did, and we started to lose, you know, membership. And then um, fast forward to 2018, um, we were still losing families. We had no kids because we were all older. Those you know, members that were left were you know, older uh, couples. And um, so we knew that we had to do something. Um, so we started to pray. God had no reason. You know, we cried out to God and we just said, um, God, we don't know what to do anymore. We need you to show us what we need to do, um, where we need to go, what do we need to do to keep you know, the doors open. So we just prayed for this will be done in this church. Um, and if it was to close the doors, then that's what we would accept. Because, you know, then God is, you know, God is faithful. And if he's going to bring you to it, he's going to see us through it. So we continue to pray and we just um, selfishly, God, we need a miracle. We need something amazing to happen. Somebody to show up. And God did show up. He walked us. He was walking with us. He was carrying us through all those years. But he, we knew he was there with us all the time. And um, he was very faithful. Um, and a miracle did show up. Those people, um, I, those people are heroes to me because um, it's easy it's easy to pray and believe whenever you're seeing things happen. But what, what they did is they started praying in 2015 and actually the church began to shrink, continued to shrink and continued to get worse and worse and worse. And um, they finally got to a point and I, I, I can share this story with some of you afterwards, but um, this divine appointment happened between two pastors and God brought two men together and they just decided, uh, they just sent the, the church on this different track and then all of a sudden, in a very short time, now they prayed for three or four years. And then from, from, from 2015 into 2019, and then in one year, in 2019, God answered every single one of their prayers that they had been praying for for four years. I share that with you today to say this, that um, I, I've been incredibly encouraged to do. I, I, want, you, I want to thank you, church, uh, for encouraging me um, Dana, thank you for leading us in worship. And um, you guys have got an incredible ministry here. And I don't think that it's a I think you have an incredible pastor. And you have a great opportunity here in Dixon. And I just want to encourage you. 
I want to encourage you with, with our story that, I mean, there's nothing, <laughs> let, me, let me tell you, there's nothing special about North Road, right? There, it's not like, I don't, I can't bring you like this secret formula to tell you how we, we went from where we were to where we are and, and why God's growing us, except the only thing I can tell you is that those people pray. That's it. I, I think that is why God is doing what he's doing at North Road. And so I believe with all of my heart that if, if uh, Hope Fellowship Bible Church prays, then God will move. And God will do some incredible things here in your church and here in this community. And so let me just encourage you. That's my encouragement to you today is pray. Even when you don't see things changing, pray. Even when, thing, even when the storm keeps raging, pray. And even when you're sitting in prison and you feel trapped, pray. Because God... Is it work? One of the things that Matt said, and I'm going to close with this, when we used to leave, he says, work like it's all on you, but pray like it's all on God. Like, you've got to work, work like a mule, right? I mean, just work and get out into the, into the, in the streets and the, and the byways and your workplaces and tell people about Jesus and invite them to your church and be about it. But pray because it is all on God. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your encouragement that... Um, in this passage, that whenever your church came together to pray from Peter, God, you were faithful and you delivered him. And God, I know, I know with all of my heart that you have an incredible uh, anointing and you have an incredible purpose for this body of believers. And I just cannot wait to see how you continue to use them uh, in the town, in the city of, of Dixon. Pray for Cal. Pastor Callis, he leads this body of believers. And God, I just pray that you'd protect he and his family from the attacks of the enemy. God, I know that whenever the church begins to advance into the kingdom of darkness, the enemy um, uh, will come after the leader. And God, I just pray that you protect him. I pray that you would strengthen him with the strength of your might. And I pray that you would, uh, this body of believers would rally around he and Bethany and his family and to lift them up, uh, to be strengthened, to hold up their arms as they do the ministry of the gospel. And uh, God, that you protect them from the attacks of the enemy. And God, I just pray a blessing on this place. God, that you would begin to draw people to your people. God, that your word says that where your name is lifted up, you will draw all men to yourself. And God, I pray that for this place, that is this church lifts your name and glorifies your name, that you would draw the masses, the people, the community around this place to yourself. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I just realized that's going to be really quiet on the online. So I'm going to invite our musicians to come back up and lead us in one final song. As they do, um, I just want to invite you to um, to pray. And just what, exactly what Greg said, uh, to just pray for, <clears throat> for our church, uh, for our individual. Um, something he said that, and, and I'm not going to re-preach what he just said, but when he talked about praying, does your prayer life match the stirring in your soul? Because so many times, I know, I know, I feel a stirring about, oh, I want to see this. I would like to, you know, I, I would love to see this happen with our church or with, with our ministry or whatever. And, and sometimes it stops there and doesn't go into my prayer life. And, and that's not okay. And so um, I just want to encourage you to pray. Would you stand with me? Uh, we're going to sing one final song. Uh, if you want to sing and worship, great. If you want to worship through, through praying uh, during this time for our church, I will also plug on Tuesday evenings. 
uh, Jeanette and Bill have been opening the church and just sitting in the classroom over here and praying. Um, and they would love to have other people come and pray with them for the church. And you guys do that at what time? 5.30, usually about 5.30 on Tuesday night. So if you would want to come and pray with them, if you can make it some weeks and you can't others, that's fine. Um, but they're here generally and praying on, on Tuesday evenings. And so also we'll have some other opportunities for us to gather as a church and pray other than Sunday mornings uh, moving forward. So anyway, just want to invite you to that and to be praying about these things throughout the week. So let's uh, thank you, Greg, for being here. And uh, let me pray and then we'll, uh, we'll sing. God, thank you so much for this morning, for Greg being here, for the incredible thing you've done in uh, St. Charles with North Road, and just pray that your continued blessing is upon that. God, we pray that you would, God, don't let us walk out of here and just uh, have a good thought about what we heard. Don't let it just be, wow, that was good. Wow, yeah, that was encouraging. But let it be something that, that you use to move us to action, uh, that we would fight on our knees and that we would uh, individually in our homes and corporately together, that we would make it a point uh, to pray and to seek your face and to ask for you to do big things that are uh, just even greater than the things we can imagine. Let your will be done here in this place with us, Jesus. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. And uh, by the way, just so you know, Greg and I will be around afterwards. You want to hear more stories from him. So. Thank mm-hmm. you.